Yeah, that, you know, that I'm, just, I'm Johnny on the spot with Craig. What can I God, say? That just catches <laughs> me off guard every single time it happens. Mm, there should be a way we can record Craig saying recording so that like our listeners can hear it too. Like Pat, what we need is we just need like a soundbite, we need like a sound file for just Craig so that our so listeners. So you need me to be recording the recording of Craig. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. It's like you remember like back in, I don't know, the early 2000s when you'd try and like record a music video on your phone off of your TV. It's oh, like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But guys, just so you know, uh, listeners out there, just so you know, we're not overreacting. Uh, Craig's really creepy. Yeah. And like his the icon that I get when I tell him to record is like this creepy bear in front of a microphone. Yeah. He's got this like dead eyed stare. It's, a, it's an interesting so... choice, right? Because, like, you, you know, in, in like today's, <laughs> like the day and age of technology, you could choose almost any voice for a computer, you know, like a machine voice, right? Like a machine application. Like, we have yeah. Siri. You can put Siri in different like accents, right? Like, you have there's an Australian version for Siri, which I think is kind of sexy. I mean, um, Google Chrome and, or Google and, Alexa can do that too, and yet yeah. for some reason Craig doesn't have an option. No, it's I think he does, but the the developers chose to make him as creepy as possible. So this is but, a choice, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's intentional. But but hear me out. <laughs> we are still very much thankful to the developers of Craig for creating this uh, this plugin for Discord. Hundred percent. It's just creepy. Not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe come up with a new voice guys just saying it's just just a little just yeah. a little taste right nice. give craig a girlfriend where's like craig at craig that's a terrible version <laughs> i don't know there's not like a female version of craig it's not like michael to michelle you know yeah like a donna or a deborah or a, i don't, I don't know. know listeners figure it out for us what would female craig be linda Linda, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Linda, it's a real Linda's world out there. I saw Love something them. on Instagram or somewhere that said it was like a video saying no one is born a Linda. It just uh, happens when you're thirty. You're just created as a Linda. It's true. That's an entire episode of Kimmy Schmidt. Titus thinks it's super weird that a guy named his baby Linda. Yeah, that is weird. I've never heard of a child being named Linda. Because uh, there are none. They become Linda when they're 30 and they move into like middle management and HR. Makes perfect sense. That's amazing. My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Well, uh, hello listeners, and welcome back to a... Another episode of Heresy Grad School. We're starting our coverage on the uh, sisterhood of, or sisterhood of silence. Ooh. 
definitely the sisters of silence, Patrick. Sorry, the sisters it's of silence. Spooky. He's very spooky. <laughs> so, so guys, this is this is a great. Um, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're gonna we're gonna talk to you guys about the Sisters of Silence, um, but we're gonna do a little bit of housekeeping first to sort of give us some time to let you know where you should be going in your reading, um, what source material you need. Um, this is like our syllabus episode, right? So, and then we're gonna do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I need to do a little bit of housekeeping to clean up uh, the very last episode we did on Paramar. So um, thanks for listening, guys. I didn't catch that. Oh, that was weird. Um, <laughs> hey, Siri isn't part of this cast. <laughs> Fucking random Siri going off. Um, okay, so what should we do first, Pat? Should we do some housekeeping or should we talk about where we're going with the Sisters of Silence? Um. Let's do some real quick housekeeping and then we'll barge right into sisters. I agree. All right. All right. So the very last episode of Paramar, if you guys were listening, um, Pat actually mentioned that he didn't know what the strength of the Ordo Sinister was that uh, deployed to uh, Prospero. Right. And so uh, we put that out to you guys. Nobody came back. No worries. Um, but we're going to go ahead and clean that up right now. So on page 22 of book seven, you will find the sort of deployment list of the censure host from Terra. Now, this is different than the deployment list uh, from the censure host of the legions, right? This is just the, the, these are the forces that came from Terra, from the Segmentum Solar. So it does not include the, the legions. But at the very bottom, of that list on page 22, the red callout box, you will see that the chamber occidentalis of the Ordo Sinister, five Psy Titans of the Ordo Sinister, all warlord Psy Titan machines. So I think it's a pretty safe assumption that all five of them deployed to the surface of Prospero um, for the burning and the censure of Prospero. Um, and I think Pat, there we talked a little bit about this. Uh, you know, are there other classes of Psy Titan? Uh, not that I can tell. And also, that seems an awful lot of anti-psyker power, considering how how expensive these are as a resource to both build and maintain. You know. So this was a full quarter of the strength of the Ordos. Yeah, that seems like. So there are four. Yep. So there are four chambers. Um, there are four fortress crypts built into Terra. Uh, we can we know that because of page one thirty six, where we go into the Ordo Sinister lore a little bit more. We won't do that right here, but we know that there are, are uh, four fortress crypts, which have about I mean five titans each, all warlord class. So we can we can surmise. It's not specifically stated. Um, but we can surmise that there are 20 warlord side titans on Terra at any given time, unless they're deployed. So I think that's all I wanted to say on that bit of housekeeping. And uh, I think we can move forward now into the, the syllabus episode. All right. Thanks, Dave. Cool. Yeah. So guys, this is really cool. Um, this is the episode that our Patreon listeners or Patreon supporters voted on. 
Um, so for, for those of you who are not on Patreon, uh, we're, we're doing this because, uh, the folks that, that support us, uh, have asked for it. So I think it's going to be really cool. Um, I wanted to do this for a long time. I've wanted to get into the lore of the, um, Astro Telepathica and the Anathema Psychana and the Sisters of Silence. So what I want to do now for this episode is just kind of tee it up, right? Just say where we're going and how long I think it's going to take us to get there. So a uh, couple of resources you're going to want as we explore, you know, the Sisters of Silence. Definitely book seven, Inferno, if you have access to that. Um, we'll reference a lot from that. Um, but there's some other uh, sources that you're going to want as well. And there's some new things that are coming out on the Sisters of Silence that are pretty interesting. In this last White Dwarf, we actually got some lore um, that showed up in both fiction and rules uh, from the Sisters of Silence, which is pretty cool. Seems kind of fortuitous in terms of timing. So if you can get your hands on the latest White Dwarf, uh, I think that'll be cool as well. Um, but the whole Black Books, the whole Black Library, uh, you know, we don't know a lot about the Sisters of Silence. They sort of lived in the art and you know, the Alan Bly art and the Ian Watson art for a long time without being sort of explicitly support, uh, explored. But um, yeah, so this would be really fun to go down uh, the rabbit hole on these, um, on this very unique and, and unusual part of uh, the Warhammer 40,000 universe. It's like um, fate, Dave, that it was in the most recent white dwarf. Cause I remember you sent me those know. pictures and I'm like, where's this coming from? Like, does he do the sisters now have a codex? And like, I just didn't even see it. It is. It is. I know. I, I, I love that. You know, it feels like it's the right time to talk about these kinds of things. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight, and um, we're not going to go too far down the rabbit hole, but we're going to start talking about the sisters from the beginning of book seven. So if you guys go to page 14 um, of book seven, you'll start to see the Council of Nikea. And the only thing I want to point out on this page is the only representative from the Astro Telepathica, of which the Sisters of Silence are a part of. Um, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into how they sort of fit into the Astro Telepathica. But there is only one representative from the Astro Telepathica on the Council of Nikea, and uh, that is... Uh, Yeah, so about halfway down, the Oculix Magister, Yalisco de Jericho Suerta. I'm um, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but... I mean, it's the 31st yeah. millennia. I don't think everybody, anybody's going to really dock you on that. The, not sure if the, the accent has survived. But um, <laughs> but so, he, so, so the interesting thing is they have ev expressed avowed neutrality. Right. So we're talking about an order of psychers, sanctioned, of course, right? Astrotelepaths, sanctioned psychers, 
sanctioned by the emperor. And then you have this sort of discreet organization off to the side, which we'll talk about, the Sisters of Silence. But they're at the Council of Nikea, mm-hmm. and they're saying neither yay or nay probably the most powerful psyker in the Imperium, which they must know, right? And they must have some idea of what the Thousand Sons and Magnus are capable of. But yet they they're not they're not throwing their lot in with, you know, uh anyone who's specifically for or against, uh, which is interesting, I think. Um when you look at the other sort of neutral sides, right? Um there aren't very many. So, so I thought that was interesting just to point that out. The next sort of opening lore I want to go to is page 16. Page 16 is this beautiful uh, decree for censure. So this is the official decree of censure for the burning of, well, it's not the burning of Prospero, but the censure of Magnus and the censure of Prospero, right? Supposed to bring him back. Um, but what I will say about this is if you look on the left-hand side, start at the top, you know, you have the original sort of raptor, uh, which I'm assuming is the custodes. And then you go down, uh, not sure what that is, uh, that seal. Pat, Jason, do you guys know what that is? You're talking on uh, 17, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you got Thunder Warriors up at the top, or what look like Thunder Warriors. I know it's not. Um, and then you got the Mechanicum over on the right, and then Pax Imperialis, so that's... Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would be like... That's not the Imperial Navy, that's uh, Militia, right? Yeah, I think that would be the... Um, like the uh, Astra Militant. Not the Astro Militarum, but the, uh, yeah. And Both. then the bottom is Custode slash the actual Emperor. And then you've got the Sisters. And then, yeah, I'm not quite sure about the the symbol with the squiggly marking on the left. Or you think, you're talking about the one that's in the middle on the left side. It's right? in the middle on the left, yeah. So I'm not sure what that is. We'll have to go back on that. But I know the one on the bottom is the, the Silent Sisterhood. Yeah. So they've, and then so- the one on the right is what? It's like a, it's like a hawk with its wings extended. So obviously, one of these is sort of the the high lords, right? The, right. the they're the war council at this point. So they're the war council because they haven't transitioned into the high lords of Terra. So these are the, this is the council that's the guiding hand, sort of of the Great Crusade. Um, so I'm not sure where they are. This the one at the top on the right is definitely the um the Martian delegate, but I don't think that's been codified yet into the Adeptus Mechanicum. Um, so that the, the sort of the, the binary secession hasn't happened yet. Um, right. So it would make sense then. It's just Calbar Hall's own. Yes. Sigil. Seal. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. And so Pat, you think that is Cal? I mean, it, it would only make sense if this is the document that was ratified at the council of Nikea. I mean, yeah, you know, it just just goes hand in hand. You have the cog there, you have the half mechanical skull, and then you have the dual um, mechanical power axes or yeah. axe blades or what have you. It makes it at least makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely intrigued by like 
the middle on the left side and the very bottom on the right. So, yeah, we'll have to do some more research on that guys and, and come back to you. Um, but I just wanted to point that out from sort of a lore perspective that the decree to censure Prospero um, had to be sort of stamped off uh, by these organizations um, before, uh, you know, before the, the, the action actually took place. So that's interesting. Um, on page 2122, uh, we get to the censure host. So these are, uh, again, this is the Terran contingent. Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier with the, um, the, the Psy Titans and the Chamber Occidentalists. But what I wanted to talk about here is the Silent Sisterhood deployed 3,000 sisters militant, constituting three full vigils of the Silent Sisterhood. So what we can surmise from this is that a full vigil is a thousand sisters of silence, um, which is a powerful sort of idea, right? Because we know that they normally employ in cadres or cadres. Um, we don't know what cadres mean right now. We don't know what their size and sort of, um, I guess, disposition is. But we know that at least a full vigil in the Great Crusade uh, is a thousand sisters of silence uh, gather, gathered together. And we have three of them. That's a lot of sisters. That's a lot of sisters. I mean, when you think about what, so I think Pat, we've talked about this before, the, at least the natural occurrence of a psychic null is like one in a billion. Right. right? But a thousand is like, I mean, 3,000, like, let's do Yeah, so, so, yeah, we're talking about 300 billion people to just, that's, I mean, obviously not it's going to play out, but, um, so the natural occurrence of psychers is very rare, or nulls is very rare, um, but, uh, so we've got a significant force dedicated to this, to this uh, censure host. Let's that's just say migrant, or Magnus had a bit of a migraine that day. <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah, we know. I mean, we know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we know. Yeah. But like, just the magnitude of it is is impressive. And then, like, you even look. I know we're not getting to custodies in this episode per se, but nine hundred and eighty-two warriors. Yeah, were, were in the host. Like, that's a whole hell of a lot of custodies. Actually, that's yeah. almost all of the custodies, isn't it? No, no, it's not. It's, I think there were 10,000, but it's, it's a significant amount of custodes. Um, and yeah, the fact that there are 91 separate soldatis, uh, soldatis uh, of the Legio Custodes, I think is significant. Um, so I think all of those things are sort of painting the backdrop for where we're going here with the Sisters of Silence, which is really a deep exploration of the lore, um, of where they come from, uh, how did they come to be? Uh, who are they? How do they function in the Great Crusade? How do they function in the heresy? And then, sort of, what is their, uh, you know, what is what is their legacy? So, um, we're going to go to page one twenty two. I don't think we're going to talk about. It. We're going to go to one twenty two just to talk about it a little bit. And I mean the. 
the sigil of them is actually even creepier than the idea of them all being gnolls, if you think about it. Like, I mean, earring skull with a half mask and tendrils and shit. But, you know, again, that's just me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's pretty cool artwork. Um, oh, yeah. No, it's beautiful artwork. But yeah. still creepy. <laughs> I mean, it's the grim, dark pet. Everything's creepy. Um, but what, so here's what I wanted to do. Let's just look at the, the, let's look at page 122. We won't go any further. Uh, we'll just, we'll sort of look at it and talk about it so that you have the formal title of the sisterhood, uh, the silent sisterhood of the great tithe. That's their formal title. And then you have their banner, which is the Divisio Investigates of the Divisio and the Adeptus Astra Telepathica. So this is a point that I'm going to come back to, but like the Divisio Investigates is really an interesting idea. We've talked about it a little in the past, I think, when we got into book eight. Um, but these, this is, this is, they're very, um, they're almost like a secret service within the Astra Telepathica. So, um, and then what is their magisterium? It's the Lex Majoris Sicana. So they have authority within accorded duty, uh, subject to the review only of the Lord's Imperial, uh, of the Adeptus Astra Telepathica and the offices of the Imperial household. So really they have wide breadth and depth to execute their duties. Um, some of their informal names are the Sisters of Silence, the Witch Seekers, the Pale Scourge, the Soulless Ones, the Null Maidens, the Irene, the Daughters of the Abyss. Their legal remit is wherever the shadow of the Emperor falls. And the domains, the the places where they are, are the Somnus Citadel. We know that's on Luna. That's right. their headquarters. The Magden Orbital Construct, which is a um, place of anchorage for the black ships. Cold Alpha, Prison Fortress, Titan Orbit, Soul System. Star One, Silent Harbor, Tacent Astra. Those are code designations believed to be planetary systems within Segmentum Solar given over to the secure processing of the tithe. Their locations are unknown or prohibited, probably both. Um, so this is some of the lore that I really, really want to get into. And I've got some ideas. I'm, I think I know where Star One is. I'll make that case. Yeah, I'll make that case in a later episode. But I think I know where Star One. See, I never thought that the Silent Sisterhood would have so much. I mean, I guess, I guess to make it simple, property. Um, like, I mean, I understood that. Like, they're they're definitely like their job is to deal with psychers, and there's the tithe and everything like that. And I knew about um, the the prison in titan's orbit which i mean makes sense it lines up with some of the gray knight stuff that you read um but think about it pat so so what they're doing what the what the sisters of silence are doing with the great tithe is they're going out 
into the galaxy and really collecting up all the human beings with psychic potential, any, any degree of psychic potential, right? From alpha level psyker, alpha plus, all the way down to sort of latent psyker, right? And they're bringing them back for processing either to become, um, so if they pass sort of, you know, screening, initial screening, then they can go and be, you know, processed into the, uh, you know, astrotelepathica, either, either as um, astrotelepaths or potentially uh, primaris psychers um, for the, the, the new battle program that the Imperium is starting. Potentially, they could even become um, candidates for uh, more powerful, powerful roles as, as psychers, right? Um, but this sorting can't happen on Terra, right? You don't want to... Oh, yeah, of course. That's a fuck ton of psychic energy just yeah. open. Yeah, you and don't want to... enough already there with the Emperor there. So. <laughs> yeah. You would not want to bring the most dangerous people in the galaxy back to the most important, you know, sort of place in, you know, in humanity, um, in the realm, right? You don't want to bring them back to Terra. So you've got to sort them somewhere. And so the sorting takes place... Uh, somewhere in the segmentum solar at these three locations, four locations maybe, um, where they're sorted out and they're sort of put into different bins and then they're sent forward. So I think that's really cool in terms of meta plot, right? That that they're thinking that the authors are thinking about this, right? That's sort of the, it's it's really the the deep imagining of of how this um, takes place. This great tithe. And then it also gives us really some very interesting narrative arcs in terms of, well, really, how does this play out? You know, these are systems that are, or these are planets that are, that are really don't show up on any map, right? Um, even the most classified uh, top secret astro maps, um, astrological maps are not going to show these places. So, I mean, that's fucking black ops man i mean that is the like that is the definition right you've got sort of these black sites out there uh where this stuff is happening and nobody knows about it except for the divisio investigates of the astro telepathica so i i want i just wanted to, to sort of be maybe a little more explicit about that than than i need to because I think when people think about the astro telepathica, they're thinking, oh, yeah, these are these guys are like, you know, the laymen of the Imperium. You know, they're just pushing, pushing paper. They're passing messages. You know, they're the, you know, the astral choir that's out there at the relay station. But like, no, man, there's like a secret arm of these guys uh, that's out there doing work. So. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, also, those guys are are quite fearful of the secret arm of their organization. I mean, if you're a psyker and a black ship shows up on your world, you better hope you've been crossing your I's and dotting your T's or having the correct nervous um, psychic dream interpretation, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, you know. I'm not even sure that uh, most of the Imperium would know at this point, you know, what what a black ship would mean. You know, it would certainly be only 
the high level, you know, sort of Imperium. Uh, and I mean, whether they would see it, to be honest with you, if you think about yeah. it, they talk about how much stealth technology that they use. Um, and, you know, it could just be there, zap some sisters down to the surface, they pick up some psychers, and then they disappear. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I absolutely, I mean, that's what they do. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting when you, when you sort of peel back, uh, I think the, the curtain on this, what is the emperor most fearful of, right? And the emperor is most fearful of chaos, right? These, these entities that, that exist outside of our understanding, but not his, right? So he understands what they are. He understands how they can get in. He also, we know, wants to shepherd humanity into um, the uh, the webway uh, and and you know create sort of this safe environment for human beings to become psychically ascendant. This plays in nice nicely to where we are right now uh, in M forty two, right, with the sort right. of psych- psychic yeah. awaken- awakening. It's taken 10,000 years, but we'll see where this goes. Um, you know, so so he's most fearful of these latent psychers out there in the galaxy. And I think this was a huge impetus for the emperor to begin the unification wars and the Great Crusade. I mean, you have to ask yourself from the deep lore perspective, why did the emperor wait? Um you know, until M29 to start the unification wars? Why did the emperor wait until humanity was at the brink of species extinction? You know, what was the impetus? What was, what was the reason driving? And, you know, we don't know, but we can sort of surmise that it was, uh, you know, it was this, this emergence of psychic awakening. You know that these psychers were were becoming even more prevalent than they were during during old night, um, and he wanted control of that. He wanted control of the psychers in the the human psychers in the galaxy, and this was really the the impetus for the Great Crusade. That it wasn't just to unite humanity against the Xenos threat. It wasn't just to unite humanity into some sort of fascist totalitarian rule but it but it but it was the emperor with his foresight saying we got to go police these people up and we got to go get them bring them home sort them take the dangerous ones out and um yeah i mean it obviously it's control right um, so, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I think that that's sort of where, where the sisters of silence, that's where the narrative arc is going to take us. So. Very cool. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, go ahead. Sorry. No, we'll, we'll explore some, we'll explore some Easter eggs because there's that there's I just found. Lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there really are. And, and so. Um, should I give you guys just one? Oh, give him a little taste, Dave. Give him a little taste. All right. Give him a little bit of that razzle dazzle. 
All right, so so we'll wait for Jason to come back and read us sort of the first couple of pages. But on page 125, uh, you have the mention of... So page 125, you have at the very top, the foundation of the Divisio Investigates. I promised you guys I would come back to this. So let's come back to this right now. As surprising as it may be, Evidence suggests, at least upon the surface, that the silent sisterhood as it now stands was not part of the initial pattern of the Imperium's forces laid down by the master of mankind. There are those, however, who contest this and claim that what became the silent sisterhood long dwelt in the shadows awaiting their time. It is doubtless true, regardless of this, that a number of so-called untouchables did serve under the banners of unification, but evidence suggests that understandably, perhaps they did so at a remove both from the emperor himself and his aide and minister, Malkador, the vizier to the Lord of Lightning, the both of them being psychers of prodigious strength, with he who was to be emperor, the greatest psyker humanity has ever known. These soulless servants were, according to such rumors that persist from those times, in the nature of covert agents and assassins, and few in number, rather than a distinct militant order. In fact, the only analog in ancient Terran history for the Sisters of Silence, as they are now known, can be found in the Akashak records of an entirely different age in hue. The darkly famed Hollow Ones who served the unspeakable king, himself by some legends a psychic null in the terrible lost centuries of Terra's age of strife before the coming of the emperor. Okay, so, right? So, that, so when I read that, that's a lot of I got chills. Unpack right there. A lot to unpack. Here's what I, here's what I want you guys to do, is go find out whatever you can about the unspeakable king because we'll come back to him and that right there guys is an easter egg that i stumbled on that is the the uh the the rabbit hole is deep so very cool um the unspeakable king he's part of this whole story arc of the sisters of silence from the very beginning so we'll come back to that go find him listeners that's your homework assignment for this episode of heresy grad school Whew, smooth transition jason what are we calling your episode like lost lore lost rules i have no idea that's a good question i feel the like shit it- you should know by jason I mean, if you guys are going to make <laughs> me keep doing it, it does need a catchy title. Other than just, da-da-da, use rules right. No. Yeah, it I definitely mean, I mean, needs a good title. Yeah. yeah. We'll work so on like, that. I came up with, like, the Bourbon Diaries off the top of my head, but I can't do it for, like, my own segment. Can't do it for yourself. I know. It's always like that. Can't, Which, it's like you can't listeners, the first nickname. episode of the Bourbon Diaries is out for our Patreon listeners. So uh, go ahead and go check that out. And if you're not check a patron... Check it out. Think about uh, patroning us. We're cool dudes. We give you cool content. Like something like the esoterica could be cool. 
right? Oh, I like that. The yeah. esoterica, like this, this, this uh, lost binder of rules that people don't know <laughs> exist, but really do exist, but they don't know how to use them. Yeah. Oh, it's just like the Mechanicum in 40K. It's like they know vaguely what stuff does, but they aren't sure how it works, really. And they just hope if they throw some prayers and some sacred oils at it, that it'll look yeah. like it's supposed to. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's sure. perfect. I love it. That's All pretty right. fantastic. All right. Now we know. Well, guys, uh, tonight's esoterica is the blind rule. Now, blind is very special and very near and dear to my heart because it is both the greatest strength, and I'll let you in on a little secret, it's one of the greatest weaknesses of the Mechanicum at large. Shh, don't tell them our secrets. <laughs> well, guys, see, that's the thing that really throws folks off. Uh, blind is probably one of the least used rules I can think of, specifically because it's really really hard to get it in an astartes legion list the only two places i can think of are defensive grenades which uh now with the rework to breacher shields are a lot harder to come by or um oh if you've got a pravian you can take castellax with dark fire lances and i'm sure there's like one or two others i'm missing uh there's the uh Raven Guard, their special Storm Eagle, has uh, blind missiles instead of the normal missile pods. Um, but it's hard to come by. So blind is a really simple rule, but it's spectacular in its application. It All ruins it is... everyone's day, by the way. Sorry to interject. Oh, no. No worries. Uh, yeah, Pat's right. It ruins everybody's day, like, a third of the time, and it's great. So, blind. Very, very simple. Uh, it's an initiative test, which is your statistic or under on a d6 roll uh, to pass. And if your initiative test is failed, all models in the unit are reduced to weapon skill and ballistic skill 1 until the end of their next turn. So, a couple of things about that. Uh, it's a single test per phase, regardless of how many hits are taken from a blind weapon. Now, uh, that's important, too, is it's hits. It's not like pinning, which has to cause a casualty for a leadership check to happen. Uh, you only have to hit a weapon, or hit a weapon, hit a unit with a blind weapon for it to force a blind check. And this is terrific, because it's essentially a one in three chance of making a unit of Astartes useless for a turn. Uh, same deal, it's a one in six chance for making a unit of Custodians useless for a turn. And let me tell you, uh, Mechanicum Punchbots that are weapon skill three and four really appreciate it in close combat when half of their attacks don't automatically disappear when they have to roll fours to hit. So... Uh, in addition, besides close combat, it's the obvious, you know, bonus of everything but template weapons are now pretty god-awful inaccurate. Now, another important thing to notice is it does not force snapshots, it just reduces things to ballistic skill 1. So, template weapons like flamers are still going to hit automatically and they're not going to be bothered by it. 
another thing to note is a unit obviously has to have an initiative characteristic to be affected. So uh, things like vehicles, buildings aren't affected. Things like knights, titans, walkers like dreadnoughts are affected. And typically, they don't have that great of an initiative. So, if you roll it back around and check out some of the statistics of Mechanicum units, you're seeing like threes for Castalax, uh, Myrmidons, Thalax, Ursarax, all initiative two. Not a big fan of blind checks. So, the funniest thing you will ever see is like, um, like last weekend at the Williamsburg Muster, uh, our uh, correspondent, Ryan, from the main cast, uh, he and I had a Mechanicum off, uh, my Trader Mechanicum versus his Loyalist Mechanicum, and it was hilarious because we each had a ton of Thalax with Photon Thrusters, and we were blinding each other back and forth. Uh, it was a pretty magical time. Was it just and... like a giant slap fest? Because you're like standing back, just like just like throwing hands at each other. Oh yeah, Ryan has like oh god, like twelve myrmidons in his it's list. An ungodly amount of myrmidons. And it was the only way I survived through all of those myrmidons was to blind as many of them as I could. But uh, what's great though is you, ha as a mechanicum player, you have exactly one unit that can stand up to blind checks well, and that's whatever your unit your Magos is in, because he has a Cyber Familiar. Now, uh, associated with the blind check really closely for mechanicum is the Cyber Familiar. Everybody remembers that it gives you plus one to invulnerables. That's basically... It's basically all they remember. What they tend to forget is any characteristic check that is not leadership can be re-rolled. So strength yeah. checks, initiative checks, toughness checks, all of those can be re-rolled. It's great, because it uh, even... Basically, the best initiative you're going to get on units like that for like a Majos is three or four. So it essentially doubles your chance of not failing that blind check. Now, the last thing we need to talk about when it comes to blind is the tiny controversy associated with it uh, and when exactly those checks are taken. Now, uh, most of the time, it's not going to matter because if you wing a blind shot off somebody, they fail it. The next time they go to shoot, they're a ballistic skill one. However, it says specifically in the rules any unit hit by one or more models with weapons with a special rule take an initiative check at the end of their current phase. Where this makes a big difference is the assault phase, because uh, if you have a unit that is hit in Overwatch by a unit with a blind weapon, it's going to make a super big deal whether they are coming in at full weapon skill or they're coming in at weapon skill one. Now, I have heard both sides of this argument ad nauseum. Uh, some people are... Now, again, this is personal experience, but uh, the smaller subset of folks insist that at the end of the current phase means you wait until after the combat is fought, and then at the end of the assault phase, when everything is said and done, you take a blind check. Now, uh, the 
other argument I've heard, and personally, this is the one I go with, uh, is you take it at the end of the charge phase. So it's possible for that unit to charge you, have a blind shot winged off the guy in the front, then fail that initiative check, and now they're in a combat they can't get out of at weapon skill one. So the argument against that is, well, technically the charge phase is a sub-phase, not a phase phase. And the counter-counter argument is, well, conversely what you're saying is a guy gets flashed in the eyes with lasers and it doesn't affect him till after he's fought that entire round of combat. That's silly. I think yeah. it's a little silly, but I can see why the debate is there. So this has never been FAQ'd, Jason, to your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. So all of 7th edition and all of Age of Darkness rules, this this has never been FAQ'd. Uh, interestingly, back in 6th edition, where this version of Blind, I think, is where it got started, uh, it was every single hit with a weapon with Blind. So if you had... I don't know a squad. I don't know how you'd get a squad of guys with blind weapons, but say you wing six shots off a uh, with blind off a single model. Uh, that squad hit by six blind weapons has to take six blind checks. Oh, in but it doesn't seventh, work that way now. No, in seventh they changed it to say any unit hit by one or more models with weapons with a special rule. Oh, yeah. So it's just one per turn. It's more streamlined, but at the same time, it's all your eggs in one basket. Because if you fail that check, all of your guys are basically blind. Um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So I think what we need to do, listeners, um, help us out with this, right? Uh, write Forge World, uh, write the, the rules team, Neil and Anush, and uh, let me just forget, is it, is it uh, Emily? I think it is. Um, but write the rules team at Forge World and and ask the question, uh, when is this supposed to take effect? Um, I can see both sides of the argument. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's good. I think, Jason, I'm leaning towards the way you would play it. If you get it off in Overwatch, which is obviously harder to do in the shooting phase, it should take effect immediately. Um, you failed the check. You're now in combat. Um, so you should suffer the penalty for that. Now, uh, yeah. That, uh, doing stuff like that, uh, that, like an Astarte squad being stuck in combat that's now at weapon skill one, is why the Photon Gauntlet is my absolute favorite piece of war gear, second only to the Machinator Array. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's two shots at, I think, like, range 12 inch strength 5 AP 2 with blind mm -hmm. and it's amazing because you get two chances for that six it doesn't even matter if it kills a guy that's secondary what's great is that blind check oh so so let's say that this rule really starts to sort of proliferate throughout the community right let's say people start to really use it to its full effect and it becomes like powerful right um Tips. in the meta what can you do against it? So you can you can put somebody in a unit that has a higher initiative. So in Mechanicum, what's the highest initiative sort of support character you can put in a unit? Uh, well, that's where you kind of run into problems because they're not many. Right. Uh, Magi tend to top out at three. I think there's 
I think the Archmage's Prime is at four. The real protection from the Mechanicum independent character is that Cyber Familiar that gives yeah. you a reroll. Which is like, what, 10 points, Jason? Uh, yeah, I've... like 10, 15. Okay, it's a piece of war gear that you can put on your guy. Yeah, no, that's that's really powerful. And I think, again, people forget that it gives you that reroll um, for, for characteristic tests. Yeah, strength so. and toughness checks are there too. Like... Um... I don't know, uh, strength checks for grab weapons. That's a deal. Wow. Psychic tests, right? Oh, yeah. There are a couple of psychic powers that force toughness checks, like uh, hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Things like that. That's a Bad good one. Badass. Yeah. But uh, for it. the Stardies, it's kind of the same deal. Uh, there's nothing you can do to absolutely get rid of it. Uh, the risk of failing that blind check. Well, I guess unless you're Perturavo, because his armor just makes him flat immune to blind and concussive. But that's the only instance I can think of. Uh, other than that, um, having like an independent character in the squad typically bumps them up, because uh, you go off the highest initiative in the squad. Um, we'll bump yeah. them up to initiative five. Uh, Forge Lords and Tech Marines can take uh, Cyber Familiars for that reroll. So that's good. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit like getting giving a vet sergeant uh, artificer armor, right? It just yeah, gives you a kind little of the bit. Same of, deal. Yeah, I like it. Like it. Very cool, man. Um, I think that's. Are, were we gonna talk about anything else? Is there anything else to talk about with blind? I think that's the length and breadth of it. But honestly, always buy photon thrusters. That's all oh I got. Oh my say. god, I got photon thrusters. Like and you get lance gauntlets. Like, Photon thrusters are great. I mean, I always put them on Destructor Thalax, but really the sort of... Their anti-tank potential is mediocre at best because you've got either Multi-Melta, one-shot, or Photon Thruster, two shots, strength six. And you are kind of fishing for sixes, you know, with the Photon Thruster, even with the rerolls. And the Multi-Melta... I know Thalax are ballistic skill four, but you'd never know it from how many times they've missed with that <laughs> single multi-melter <laughs> shot. That sounds good. So so defensive grenades, if you had that option as blind, right? If you could get blind grenades as defensive grenades, which did is that even th a thing? Oh yeah, that's definitely a thing. Uh, so how, how would grenades, that work? They're well, they're used exactly like assault grenades in the shooting phase. Uh, it's actually a really nice kind of supporting tactic for um, in solar auxilia armies because their uh, velatari can take uh, shroud bombs. And shroud bombs are defensive grenades, but also you have to take a leadership check if you want to charge them. So anywho, uh, it's terrific for them, especially when combined with like Ogryn. Uh, because your Velatari can toss a Shroud Bomb at something and force a blind check, and if they fail it, now they're a lot more susceptible to those weapon skill 3 and 4, you know, Ogryn and Velatari. But uh, anyhow, to answer your question, they work exactly like a uh, Assault Grenade, like a Frag Grenade, Plasma Grenade. Uh, they're Strength... I'm going to say Strength 1. They might be Strength 2. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. Uh, because they're like strength one or two AP nothing. Uh, eight inch range, just like an assault grenade, small blast, and mm -hmm. blind. 
So as long as you hit a single model in the enemy squad with that small blast template, it forces that initiative check. So you would only technically have to declare, and this is in the shooting phase. Yes. So before you're going to get charged. Yes. You hope you can move up within range of the unit that you expect will charge you, right? So there's some some hypotheticals here, um, but you you do it. You get there. Um, you know, you, you you throw your grenade. So I think for for solar auxilia, man, I think you have to be within six inches. Um, so you're pretty close. Uh, you throw your grenade, but it's a small blast. As long as one guy hits with that. Um, the whole unit's taking a blind check. Correct. And it doesn't matter how many other guys chuck a grenade because you're only going to take one blind check or one shroud check. Yes. Okay. So the tactic here is um, if you're playing Solar Auxilia, uh, Velatari, and like maybe Power Axe guys, right? Which Yeah, that's how I, I use them. Yeah, right, exactly. You never see these guys on the table because I think it's it's a it's hard for people to figure out how to use them. So you move them up, you throw the blind grenade, you get them, uh, and then when the, the next turn, if they choose to charge in, right, because now they know they're blind. So if they still choose to charge in, um, then they're weapon skill one, ballistic skill one. But anyway, you've bought yourself a turn of essentially not getting shot or getting They're charged. a little... I kind of ironically, because they're supposed to be defensive grenades, I use them less in that defensive role. Because, I mean, like you described, it's kind of hard with a short range to mm -hmm. use them like that. I'd use them a little more offensively. Yeah. Um, I'd have a squad of Power Axe Velatari and a squad of the Ogren Char Knights in the, um, uh, what's the uh, big Gatling gun tank? The Storm, Storm Lord? Storm Lord, yep. Yeah, with a good transport capacity. So the Velatari and the Ogren both pile out, you know, they're six inches. You get the Velatari to toss a single shroud grenade, and then they can combo charge with the Ogren, whatever uh, big scary unit is hopefully now blind. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great little combo. That's a great tactic, man. Yeah, plus whenever the Solar Auxilia hold hands, they get that bonus to uh, weapon skill. That's right, yeah, yeah. Very cool, Jason. Well, thanks for taking us down that kind of... Uh, yeah, it's good, man. That's yeah, thanks, terror. Jason. Oh, a good thing to remember, too, is when um, your opponent's weapon skill is double plus one, uh, yours, it's a five plus to hit. So it definitely helps with, like, mortals that are kind of squishy and they don't want to be hit by Astartes. As long as your weapon skill is at least three, then... Whatever's a weapon skill one has to roll a five to hit you. Did not know that. Yeah. You're still hitting on threes, though. Oh, yeah. You're hitting on threes as long as their weapon skill is one less or lower than yours. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, I think you, we have just given you some uh, food for thought. Little, little lore bomb and uh, and rules bomb there. So, and of course, we'll have plenty more in the next episode too. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't even know what we're gonna do next time. Maybe pinning. No, we're gonna, we, really like. we were gonna we were gonna we were gonna do um, go to ground. Oh right, go to ground. That's yeah. good to go along with pinning. It is. Yeah. I think we'll do those two together. Excellent. Cool. All right, and then and then Jason, you'll explain the psychic phase. No. Oof.
<laughs> Nobody's ever going to do that. Nobody wants to do that. I play Thousand Suns. We all play Thousand Suns. Nobody wants yeah. that. Nobody really wants to roll for the psychic phase. Let's be honest here. Oh, gosh. Get tiny fun aside. Um, I actually played an Ultramarines player recently who took a librarian, and he was going to start to explain the psychic phase to me, and he started out like, so I get these couple of psychic dice, and that's because I get a phase you don't get. And I was like, oh, did you not know I was playing Thousand Suns? Have I got some news for you? See, I had the exact opposite, Jason. I played a Thousand Suns player who hated the psychic phase, so never used any of his psychic powers. I mean, they can't all be winners. I mean, he had Enfeeble and like a couple other it, decent ones. Like I don't know, dude. Enfeeble is one of the best psychic powers in the biomancy tree like don't get me wrong i love to jack up like a single praetor with iron arm and warp speed which but is annoying as hell enfeeble is where it's at especially as a support when my thousand sons are allies and my mechanicum are my main army because i have red grenades all over the place too it's a good good times good times yeah it's good times for you i mean yeah <laughs> playing jason guys is like honestly it's like playing like varsity it's like it's like jv going into varsity or or like it's maybe it maybe it's like middle school it's like middle school going into a varsity game like you just like don't even fucking know these rules exist and jason's pulling them out it's so nice about it all right so uh i guess that's the end of the episode guys um jason had to duck out a little early but i'm super happy he got to explain to us how blind works um yeah because it's fantastic and if you're a mechanicum player use that shit because it annoys everybody else (laughs) um yeah but uh i guess go into plugs dave you got anything i want to say two things um number one i want to say thanks to our patreon uh listeners that support us on patreon because it makes a huge difference in what we can do for the cast in terms of um, hosting and editing software that we can bring in just to make it more professional and, and just the things around the edges that make it easier for us. Um, The second thing I wanted to say is I have a new project. Um, I think we're calling it the bourbon diaries. Is that right, Pat? Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I think right now we're calling it the bourbon diaries, which sounds cool. Um, we mentioned it a little bit in this episode, but yeah, go ahead, Dave. We did mention it a little bit, but I'm not sure we... Uh, just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's cool. So so what it is, is I'm going to be reading the essays from the Black Library authors that are collected in sort of the limited edition Black Library books. So... So, so like when a, a limited edition Black Library book comes out, um, let's say it's Aaron Dembski Bowden and it's Talents of Horus, there's usually uh, an author's foreword or an author's afterword or some type of um, author's note at the beginning, and it and it can be anything from, um, you know, sort of their idea of what the meta plot is in that book, their character development and arc, uh, or sort of the larger setting in Cosmos. 
but I find them really powerful. Um, I think they're a look behind the curtain um, of the Warhammer 40,000 universe from, from the people that are really, they're, they're filling it in if they're not creating it. You know, they're shining light into the dark places. Um, and so I find that very intriguing and very powerful that with you guys. And so it's usually no more than 10 or 15 minutes. It's me introducing the context and then me reading the essay. Um, and so it's, it's, that's all it is, guys. And uh, if that's something that sounds interesting to you, uh, just become a patron or Patreon. Um, and then we have a pretty low level tier for that, don't we, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like $5, less than five dollars or less, right? Yeah, I don't. So think five dollars or less will get you in. Um, it'll get you into the door, and and so then you'll get access to that stuff. Eventually, I might we might put it on to the main cast, or we might release it. Um, I'm not even sure there's that much interest in it. So if that's something you're interested in you know, this is a way that you can tell us that, hey, you think that's cool and you want to do that. Because some of those limited editions are ridiculously expensive um, and they're and they go so fast and it's a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I make an effort to get. Um, and so this is, you know, I yeah, I think I Games Workshop should share those with a broader audience. They should do a, a collected essays, but. You know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. That's we can we can only hope, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I wanted to show. And Pat, we have the first one up, right? Uh, I do believe the first one is up. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think I think that I was gonna do the same thing. I was just gonna plug Patreon and and listeners, feel free to tell us if we're shoveling this way too hard down your throat. Perfectly understandable. We're just real excited. Um. You know. Cause, cause it definitely helps cause it, it changes from, I mean, it doesn't necessarily make this a job, but again, it, it helps us in like improving our content, you know, Im improving our recording software. Yes. We're on Craig right now, but, but Craig's doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, and we're going to, we're going to keep on doing a lot of these, uh, listeners choose what we do, uh, type of, uh, series i mean sisters of silence is a big topic you know we're we're talking maybe three maybe four episodes probably dave right so oh at least so as a patron yeah. you get first access to that and then it goes out to everybody else but you know you guys decided so we want to give you that chance to listen to it first um and we're excited about that uh the only other thing i'd like to plug is that uh paps blue ribbon is actually delicious if you've get it almost frozen so that that's all i got that that cool. was my drink of choice this evening so there you go that's you're it. drinking frozen paps blue ribbon uh close to frozen where it's like just perfectly crisp and it, and that's the only way it's palatable otherwise it's just piss water it's just um, slushy yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah i'm i'm all out of single malt right now so it's a sad day in the O'Hare house. Yeah, it really is, man. You go from single malt to it's a hard, it's a hard transition, man. I mean, I gotta finish all the all the beer and shit that I brought back from Nova. That's what I'm working on right now. Wow, that would have been gone in like a week at my house. Bring it over next time, Pat. I'll help you out. All right.
Yeah, sounds like a plan. Um, but I think that's it for us listeners. I think so. um, yeah, I hope we hope you all enjoyed. Um, and again, this has been uh, Heresy Grad School. Signing out. Bye, guys. See ya. And and for poor Jason, uh, fuck off, Craig. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.